What's going on, guys? Welcome to yet another episode of Pittsburgh Baseball Now's very own podcast, or Two and a Half Gringos to the Cool Cats. Um, we got another episode lined up today of uh, pretty good quality, I'd say, because it's a mailbag episode, and you guys sent in some pretty hard-hitting, interesting questions, I'd say. Um, one or two of them I spent quite a few days thinking on, but um, let me introduce you to the host, the co-hosts of the night. Um, unfortunately, Big Bear isn't with us right now. He might pop in later on, but let me introduce Nola Jeffy, my other gringo. What's going on, buddy? Hey, what's happening? It seems like we have to have at least one weekly uh, delay host. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, um, you know, the other guy with us today, um, been interacting with him for a little bit now and seems like a really good all-around dude, Connor Williams. What's going on, buddy? What's up? I'm doing all right. Yeah, yeah. Good to see you, man. Good to... Uh... Get you on the show. I've been meaning to do it for a little while now. Just didn't have time. Now you're here. So let's answer some of these questions, boys. And um, the first one comes from Tyler Hernley on Twitter. And the question was, is making Bubba strictly a pitcher good for his long-term development? And I guess the short answer to that is yes, times 10. Um, I, I wrote about it a little bit on Pittsburgh baseball. Now give a little opinion piece on it. And, you know, if Bubba didn't have so many issues and things he needed to tweak in his swing, I would say roll with it. But at this point, his arsenal is just too good to not focus on it full time. His fastball sitting mid nineties and his secondary stuff would probably do well to focus on full time. I mean, his slider has, good movement to it his curveball is kind of it's in the works and he's working on a changeup as well so if anything working full-time on just pitching would do him wonders now i'm gonna pass it off to nola here and on his thoughts and nola i know we talked about this ad nauseum man but i just wanted your thoughts on you know the question is making bubba a full-time pitcher good for his long-term development I believe it is, and yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we've touched on this a, a handful of times now, but uh, I also just, again, think back to that first, I think it was the first uh, video we saw of him swinging uh, in spring training last year, and all of us seeing it were just like, that's ugly. That does not look good, Yeah, him swinging. Like, it, it was stiff and... It just it did not look good, and him playing in Bradenton last year, I feel like kind of um, solidified that maybe he should just focus on the pitching aspect. Because I mean, obviously he hit uh, FCL pretty well in the Gulf Coast League, um, but then yeah, he got into Bradenton, and it just he was overpowered as much as he overpowers hitters with his stuff. It and I think it became very clear that pitching was going to be his number one path forward. And that was going to be what's going to bring the most success for him. So I like it. I think I'm glad they're getting it done now. Well, I mean, it feels like, yeah. I think the reason why he signed and out of the, out of high school in the first place was because the professional team that signed him went, Hey, we're going to give you a chance to do both professionally. Mm-hmm. We're, I mean, we're not going to guarantee that you're going to do this throughout the entire minors, but we're going to give you a chance to do this professionally. And otherwise, that might have been something that that petered out and he wouldn't have had a chance to do, maybe even at college. So I, I think that's that's why he he signed out of high school in the first place. And I think, I mean, it was reflected in the scouting reports out of the draft that like, hey, this is enticing. This guy's one hell of an athlete, but is this going to work out? Probably not. Yeah, yeah. And the one thing I do want to add to this, and it, I didn't realize it till I read the full article that released um, from Pipeline, but the Pirates just sprung this on Chandler. I thought maybe they discussed it during the offseason, but they just sprung it on him, which is mm. kind of a shitty way to do it, and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it. And, you know, if you told him in the offseason, maybe he could have worked strictly on his pitching and maybe be a little bit more developed. So does that little 
tidbit to the information that we received from it kind of i don't know change your opinion on the pirates development uh area there because i mean wouldn't you want to tell a kid who has a pretty damn good arsenal earlier that hey we're not gonna have you hit at all i mean assuming that this was a decision that was like made earlier then yeah they should have told him as soon as they came to that decision yeah. Um it's a little weird to be making decision if they just made it it it's a little weird to make it rolling right into camp. Right. That's what I thought too. It just seemed when I, odd. Yeah, and I, I wonder I mean I I seen what you're talking about but I wonder if there might have been some aspect of they, you know, gave him a you know, a list of bullets of like here's what we want you to work on in the off season. We'll see where you at come spring training when you come back to camp. And maybe he came back and they were just like, no, it's not where we want it to be. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. That happens. Then, and as we talked about previously, you know, I, we felt like they were only they were going to keep letting him hit so long as it didn't hold back his pitching. And he, he's at a point where he likely is going to be pitching Greensboro. And if his bat hasn't progressed, he's going to get annihilated at the plate in Greensboro. Yeah. So if he's getting annihilated in Bradenton, the step up is just going to be even worse. But I mean, when he did make contact, it did get hit pretty hard. It was just, he never made contact. Mm -hmm. Yep. It was few and far between. So I I think we're at a pretty much a consensus here of, yeah, moving him to pitcher was the best decision for him. Even if he didn't like it at the time, that's, that's, I think that's where we're at with it. I don't know. But, you know, let's move on to the second question here from Yark, um, longtime fan of the podcast. And just for (laughs) Yark, we're going to go with, oh, no, because he hates when we say, oh, no, when we bring his name up. But uh, the first portion of the question dealt with uh, Travis Swaggerty and why he's the next coming of Starling Marte and how many MVPs. Is he going to win? Obviously a joke, but I think it's – and, Connor, we kind of brought you on this too because we know you have a conflicting opinion on T-Swags as the rest of us do. So let's talk about T-Swags a little bit here and where we're at with him development-wise and, you know, is he able to make that next step into the major leagues? I think he can. I think he's at least a decent fourth outfielder, but – you know, I'll let you guys take the floor and I'll give my little tidbits here and there. I, I've i been pretty vocal. You have. <laughs> if you follow me, that I don't <laughs> like him as a player. I, I understand that he's had to overcome a lot of roadblocks that um, a lot of players haven't. I mean, obviously, the COVID year with no minor league baseball, everybody had to deal with that. That was a hurdle. Um, he had an injury right after that, and that was – I mean, so he basically missed two years in a row, basically. Yeah. Um, the, the My problem is I don't think he ever really, like, at any point had a season in the minor leagues, even before that at, like, low A, where it was like, wow, okay, this dude. That never happened for me. And so is is the other stuff unfortunate? Yeah, but now he's what twenty five in AAA. I mean, at, at some point, it's he has to show you something, and I still don't think he has. I, I I'm not moved by a a one oh six WRC plus against AAA pitching at twenty four. Let me that let me doesn't... jump in here for a second. Does the first round tag do that for you? If he was not a first round player, would your opinion change of him? Well, that's I, I feel like that's why people are still enticed that I mean that this guy was a first round draft pick. It was Huntington's last, correct? That was yeah. 2018. 2019. Well, no, Pre- Priester would have been his last one. Right. Okay. So yeah, it was Swagger was 2018. Okay. Yeah, it was it was one of Huntington's last. Um so I his defense is good. That's what's 
that's what his path to the major leagues I feel is. I mean, it's going to be like a fourth outfielder who's who plays a competent center field. And people who watched him last year, I did not have the opportunity to watch a ton of them last year, say that his defense took a step back. That's not good for a guy who's path to the major leagues i feel is a glove first fourth outfielder okay okay you okay that's that that's fair what you're saying is fair i'm gonna pass it to the t-swags fan of the year nola and give your little tidbits on him, man because <laughs> i i know you've come prepared with the t-swags propaganda yeah i mean i guess with regards to the first round draft pick aspect yeah, to me, I actually think it's kind of the opposite only because obviously we know the Pirates' history of first-round picks. I mean, Newman, Tucker, Craig. So I feel like it, there's actually this built-in they suck aspect. I mean, people already feel that way with Gonzalez, Davis. Priester might be the only one that doesn't really get that hanging cloud right now of he's not good. Um. So I, I actually think it's the opposite. In terms of the age, I mean, with those two years mixed in to it, because um, also on top of that, you know, Gorski's only five months older and people are pumping him right now. Well, they're, they're foolish to do so, but that's for other reasons. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I mean, I, when, with Gorski, I guess it's just it, it felt like he flipped a switch last year, which – this year will be interesting to see if that's true or not. You know, much like Matt Fraser, everybody thought, you know, you had certain Twitter guys who thought he was a top hundred prospect and should have opened camp as a starting center fielder last year. But <laughs> um, switch my name with a K and you know who. Yeah, and um, <laughs> he he obviously had the polar opposite year last year, so that aspect is there, and it's just. With swag, with swaggery, what the thing for me is the fact that it's the high floor is partially why I like him so much because of the defense and speed. Even a step back in defense for him is still better than just about any other outfield prospect we have. Yeah, we've that seen is, that's one thing that we ha- that he has going for him right now is that currently, especially at the in the high minors, yeah, the outfield depth is is really thin. Um. I think personally by like mid last year, I think it really felt like organizationally Swaggerty had started to find himself outside looking in. And I, I, and I, and I feel like that's been especially true going into camp this year. Um, Mm -hmm. It really feels like somebody like Kanan Smith and Jigba, especially with the moves that they made that like Kanan Smith and Jigba would probably have the edge over him. Maybe even Cal Mitchell who got an extended and I'm no Cal Mitchell fan. Yeah. So and that's and that's I mean, but I guess there might be personal biases towards certain outfielders, but at the same time I feel like there's still really no one that's really grabbed right. a hold of it. Kind of like kind of like that Alex article he recently uh just posted, um actually interviewing Swaggerty, you know, it's just like no one's grabbed a hold of it. So I, I a lot of it for me is just I'm not giving up yet because of the fact that I mean we could sit here and go through. I mean, Gorski again, you know, we got to see was last year real. Frazier, is he going to, was 2021 the fluke or was last year the fluke? Connor Scott, not really a fan. Lolo Sanchez, honestly, I, I was really surprised they brought him back. Me too. Um, <clears throat> in Jigba, I mean, I love in Jigba. Oh, man, I could, I could go off about he how need- much I like that guy. Yeah, I, I love Jigbo, but he's kind of in the uh, Brian Hayes box of he hits the shit out of the ball, but he hits the shit out of it on the ground too often. Uh, that dude has so much raw power. If he could, if he could add just a couple degrees of launch angle, that dude would be amazing. Yeah. Um. But he's he's almost to me. I, I think I, I said it to Murph the other day. His defense is pretty much. Him and Cal Mitchell are pretty comparable defensively. And Jigba just has a, a better, better arm. arm. Not by much, but a better arm. Yeah. Like, Cal Mitchell's more of a, like a wet noodle arm. And you know me, I, I love me some Cal Mitchell. But, and it's just, 
we we need someone to step ahead. And to me, Swaggerty at least has the higher floor than all the other guys because he has other aspects to his game that could help a competitive winning club as opposed to, like, Cal Mitchell needs to hit. Like, there's not much else he's going to do. He needs to hit. Yeah. And Jigba needs to hit. Like, all these guys need to hit in order to have value for the team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, the one thing that we haven't mentioned with Travis Swaggerty yet is he's hitting the ball pretty fucking hard. It's just – And that's why – Yeah, and I wish we had AAA data, which we we will this year, but I wish we did last year because – Watching watching him even the the twelve game season in twenty twenty one before he got hurt and then last year it's like I'd see him hit the crap out of the ball and it just yeah it would go at people I mean his swing was not in a good spot at the beginning of last year but I think he eventually got into a good spot and I'm I'm looking forward to this season yeah no it's an interesting season and I think we could probably say that this is the make or break year for Travis Swaggerty I mean we're pretty yeah. much in agreement of that. He, he might even become a Drew Waters. I mean, that's possible, man. I I don't know. Where he I, just gets traded at some point to the deadline to somebody. Yeah. It's possible. Well, I mean, that's I mean, that may, it might even happen sooner because if you look at the the 40 man situation, I mean, it's going to get kind of sketchy to keep all those outfielders that are on the 40 man now on it mm-hmm. to break with camp. I mean, I know there are obviously some of the guys that are on there, um, like Valade. Valade's gonna isn't gonna be on there. Chavez Young is not on there, right? Is he on? He's not on the no, forty. He's not. Yeah. Okay. Not. Yeah. I was. I thought I was going crazy there for a moment. Um, but I mean, there's there's like there's legitimately like nine outfielders in the forty man. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. The, the, like they so. So now. you you mentioned like a Swaggerty trade, but somebody like Swaggerty or Mitchell. They might be gone before the team breaks camp. It's entirely possible. possible. I've seen people speculate on that for a couple weeks now that like they're gonna have to like make a move somewhere, whether it's DFAing somebody or trading yeah. one of them. But it's mm-hmm. just it's just so crowded, and it it also becomes a problem of getting them all reps. Oh yeah, it's gonna be. The upper minors is going to be ridiculous when, now, when it comes to pitching and outfielders. I don't and, think the, and infielders. Yeah, I don't think the reps problem with outfielders is quite as bad at AAA because I think some of those guys are really like that we're talking about of all oh, this crowded outfield situation are kind of like non prospects. Yeah, um, well, I just, I just mean with regards to like your Connor Scott and Frazier are probably going to open in Altoona again, right? Um, but with pitching, especially that is that reps problem is absolutely real. And we, and we saw an effect of that today. Cody Bolton's moving to the bullpen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, now, which I'm a fan fair, of, by the way, I'm, I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. Yeah. That did need to happen because especially there are so many guys where like you look at projections that it's like, okay, back end starter. So somebody like Cody Bolton, who probably has more of a limited upside as a starter when it comes down to like okay are you moving him or kyle nicholas to the just throwing out a name not a really good example but just like throwing out a name of are you gonna move him or kyle nicholas to the bullpen to get um to get this guy innings or for a long-term home that guy's gonna be cody bolton like 99 times out of 100 yeah because he's got the he's got the lower ceiling as a starter and there are like 20 other guys that could end up being a number five or a number four starter yeah yeah He's not here to defend himself, um, but I'm going to say Majinski. <laughs> Majinski to the bullpen. Mur- Murph's uh, not going to like that one. No, he's not. Um, moving on to the second part of uh, Yarv's question, because he always likes to hit us with two and three parters, the bastard. Um, <laughs> uh, he, he wanted to talk about Connor Joe and the possibility of him being the right-handed hitting first base platoon man. And on top of that, he wanted to discuss um, yeah, through 2024 and 2026. And he also wanted to know if there's a chance that he's gone near term. You know, he wanted to look at both ends of the spectrum. In, in terms of the right-handed hitting option at first base, I mean, I guess you could do that. I, I, I'm not opposed to it, but I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of the Connor Joe move to begin with. I don't know why we got him. Um, 
but I sure, I guess you could do that. And I'm not saying he's going to be the first one to get the ax per se, but he, he needs to produce somewhat. And I know he gets his walks, but I don't know if he can produce a whole lot. And meh, that's where I'm at with that. I'm meh. I'm happier with him being on the squad than I ever would be with Andujar. Oh yeah, absolutely. If we yeah. Andujar and Connor Joe, I want Connor Joe. But in terms of an overall player, I I'm just mad right. Him, you know what I mean? Especially watching him so far in spring training, especially his outfield work. I literally like I was watching the game and I had a panic attack and I went, "Oh my god, this is another infielder in the outfielder. This is terrible." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, I know, I know that like he has some like moderate outfield experience, um, before this. I also, I mean, I know that like it's also Bradenton, like playing outfield in Bradenton can be kind of a nightmare. Oh yeah, it's tough, especially this early. Yeah, especially this early, and it's just so I'm holding my horses on like this is going to be a disaster so far, but I was not, I was not impressed with some of the defensive stuff that I saw from him. Most of the opportunities I saw from him just didn't look that great. Yeah. Right. Right field was rough. I mean, he overplayed a ball, then tried to step back and a ball skipped by him. I mean, right. Yeah. That's what I was. Yeah. It's, it's I also get hard that the because... sun is a factor, but you, you got to know and... how to play that. The other thing is that um, with Bradenton, like we see like what, two games a week on TV. So like mm-hmm. if you mess up in the one time we see you, <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to hold on to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. That's a, I mean, the, the way I see him is he's kind of like the last, the 26th man to me. And I don't know how much playing time he's going to actually get, but I, I, Look, look at him more as like the, what what year did we have him? I forget, but like like the uh, Matt Joyce of the roster, because mm. Matt, Matt Joyce was a beautiful pinch hitter, but man, you did not want him in the outfield. Like, he uh, had Cap- like an absolute <clears throat> insanity run pinch hitting. Yeah, did, did he, he, he? How many home runs did he hit pinch hitting that year? It was insane. It was like seven or eight or something. Yeah, it was. It was like approaching double digits. It was really weird. But he had he he probably has a worse arm than uh Cal Mitchell. That's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His arm was awful. But then that's and that's the thing, like, I mean, if you have a G1 Bay on the roster, I mean first first base is already you got a right and left platoon already. And both of them are are have more experience and are gonna be better defenders than Connor Joe would be there. Yeah, just straight and, up because both, both Santana and Choi are good defenders at first, especially yeah, and Santana. Santana has a better career against left-handed pitching. So the thing that you brought Joe in for, Santana's better at. Now, granted, it would probably be one of those things where late in the game, you're like, I need a right-handed hitter against this left-handed pitcher. You know, theoretically speaking, if that game was started by a right-hander, you'd figure Choi's at first. You have Santana on the bench. You could bring in Santana, but then the problem would become where do you put him? Because obviously you can't put him in the outfield. Right. And then, you know, assuming Kutch is DHing, you know, Joe would be someone that you're like, okay, he could pinch hit and play, go into the field the following half inning or so. But I don't know. It just seems, it feels like, especially with the addition of McCutcheon, with how that itself made Andujar expendable. I feel like that is also kind of the case with Joe. There are a couple roster moves that they made in the offseason where it was like, did they really foresee themselves adding again here? Or did they mm-hmm. know for sure they were going to add again? here? Like Vince Velasquez. Vince Velasquez, like borderline doesn't make sense on this roster also. Like, I think it they really brought it. They they brought him in, and it's just like, all right, this guy's going to eat innings in the first half of the year out of the rotation. And then they bring Rich mm-hmm. Hill in, and it's like, well, you can't have a six-man because Oviedo is going to be in the major leagues, whether that's in the mm-hmm. bullpen or whether that's in the rotation. There's there's not a – I know people have talked about this. There's not a chance that Oviedo isn't going to be a major leaguer. He's already proven he can pitch in the, in the majors in some capacity, right? And so – yeah. 
And so now that Velasquez is on the roster, it's like, what the hell is this guy's place here? Mm-hmm. Like, are they going to roll with a six man to start the year? I know April's <clears throat> kind of crazy for them. There's like two off days in all of April. I mean, maybe they do. I think they, I think they pretty much said they would. I, I, I know a lot of outlets have been talking about it. I know John for Pittsburgh baseball now wrote about it. Um, he was down in Bradenton. Um, I think Alex wrote about it and I think some, some, some other uh, local paper wrote about it too, but it makes sense to begin the season anyways. Six-man rotation, no breaks really. But we also talked about in the last pod, Nola, how that could also be an issue um, moving forward just yeah. the, the right. routines and things of that sort. Um, but I don't know. I mean, if if you were going the Cody, if you were going the Cody route and everyone was a four-inning pitcher max and I could see it working, it's just – a six-man rotation just seems like there's too much risk. Especially, if like one thing goes wrong. Especially when Velasquez is going to, and I'm being very kind here, he's going to suck shit. <laughs> I mean, unless unless they work some voodoo <clears throat> magic, this guy has been awful his entire career. He comes in and he, he eats innings. That's that's how he has made him a major league career. It's that he has proven that he can mm. handle a workload. Is he the Bryce Wilson this year? Let, let's just make a prediction. I was okay. I I will take some of the blame for Bryce Wilson being so bad because the Bryce Wilson game that I was at, he that was the seven inning start against the Brewers. <laughs> Did you hype him? Everybody remembers that? that one. So it's on me for just not being at every single game that Bryce Wilson pitched in. Come on, Connor. You gotta do better, bro. Man, we're scrapping this podcast now. <laughs> no, but no, no, yeah. I think he'll he'll eventually take over the uh for Ch- Chase DeYoung. Yeah, that's that's fair. But that's I, fair. I'm not sure he's here mid season. Vince or Chase? Both. Chase. Uh, honestly. <laughs> 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 good point. Good point. Um, but yeah, Connor Joe at first base platoon kind of doesn't really vibe well i mean you got Choi and santana there i mean why add another to the mix but i guess i, I don't know i guess if you need him in a pinch kind of like michael chavis was sure but meh that, that's where i'm at with connor joe <laughs> and, and if and the other thing with joe if any of those like fringe outfield guys smith and jigba swaggerty cal mitchell if any of those guys start or even maybe even like juan bay if those guys start playing, like, and they start earning more playing time, the, I mean that that further eats into Connor Joe because Connor Joe's best path to playing time on this team is that those guys don't really play well enough to to earn like consistent playing time. That would be his path mm-hmm. to playing time. Yeah, and so if that doesn't happen, then his spot on the roster really becomes questionable. It seems like Ben Charrington kind of acquired a lot of fail safes. Backups to backups to backups. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It was weird. Well, he, well, uh, that's understandable when you look at some of what happened last year where we, oh, just, yeah. Th- yeah. where they just had like this absolute, even in like a tank year, like you can't just like put eight people on the field. And like, <laughs> like Hoy Park was playing right field. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, 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 I mean, Michael Chavis was playing first, then Van Meter. I mean, it was just all sorts of stuff went so so wrong where it was even for a tanking team it was like you can't just like roll the dice and pick a guy in the dugout to go play a position and it even got bad down in the minors because there'd be games where you know altoona or greenspo only had like maybe three bench players yeah no it was it was bad (laughs) yeah yeah i mean when you play like 68 or 69 different players at the major league level there's a bit of an issue there man you break records in back-to-back years there's there's going to be issues um but kind of transitioning into the next question um it's from mike in illinois on twitter and he he asked a question that i i pondered on quite a bit um and the question is why does mlb try to fix things that aren't broken yet, but do nothing to fix the financial and competitive imbalance. And Nola, we kind of discussed this off the air before we started. And, 
you basically hit the nail on the head where it's just cha-ching, baby, more money. That's that's all the it, issue is there. It's all money. All of it's money. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's a big issue with, with revenue has been for many, many years, the way that m- media and baseball works. So teams keep all of their own revenue from their own local media deals, whatever media deals that they make, they get to keep all the national stuff mm-hmm. for what the better part of, I think 10 years now has all been distributed. I don't, I don't remember when that started, but all the national stuff is distributed evenly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's, that's like Ethan kind of, question for sure. Cause I'm curious that, about that. So that's kind of like a drop in the bucket in terms of the much larger revenue pool, which is regional sports networks. And the reason why, you know, you haven't seen any movement towards any of that is just because these regional sports networks have been in the way. I mean, these are long. Some of these yeah. contracts can be kind of long. Um, and the way that it's all set up with the blackouts and whatnot, you'd really have to have um, the NFL system where it's the NFL handles like pretty much all the the broadcasting and whatnot you'd actually have to go in there and do that to get that revenue split Mm -hmm. like that um otherwise you end up with the system that we have with the regional sports networks where it's just like i'm sure the dodgers have like some absolutely monstrous ridiculous deal and then the pirates have a deal that's worth like 50 million a year well yeah you look at the yankees network it's insane especially with teams that like own stakes um, or even controlling interests in don't the Dodgers get something stupid like 300 million a year or something yeah no it's it, I mean it is a disparity I mean it it's it can be that big um and this is why like when people talk about like not to I hate to be, even because I sound like a Bob nutting defender when I say this um but I'm, I'm, I'm yeah I'm not um trust me I hate that guy just as much as all of you guys do <laughs> where it's like people go well the padres are like the pirates it makes me feel like these people that say stuff like that have never been to southern california the padres southern california is not western pennsylvania in terms of a media market it's just not and that's mm. reflected in the padres tv deal yeah. and they have a substantially larger media deal than the pirates ever have yeah, like the Padres media deal is valued at like a billion dollars, and I like you never hear anybody talk about that because oh well, their their metro, you know, their downtown San Diego is about the same population size as Pittsburgh or whatever, and they don't look at any of the the numbers that are associated with being in Southern California because well, I mean, they're like yeah. a stone's throw away from Los Angeles. They're not going to have the same kind of media deals that you'll see here. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. you see it all the time where people just pick and choose. It's confirmation bias. It's all it is. Yeah, People don't want to look at the whole picture. They just want to look at part of the picture and say, hey, see, mm-hmm. I'm right right here. But, you know, there's another section in this paragraph that says you're wrong, but we're not going to talk about that, right? <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. But now that, I mean, the regional sports network thing is is just absolutely crapping the bed. Um, Warner Brothers Discovery, that's been a huge corporate merger that's been going on. And in the process, a ton of stuff is getting axed. And as it turns out, one of the things that is relevant to us is they're getting out of the regional sports network business with AT&T and Root. Mm -hmm. And of course, Bali Sports is going bankrupt. And so I think this is something that MLB, maybe not were actively rooting for, but they were interested in doing for a really long time is to move closer to the way that the NFL runs things, the league office. I mean, in terms of just MLB handles the production um, of broadcasts and it makes, it makes the money think for most teams, it's going to make the revenue splits. I think they'll be probably happier with that kind of system. And I think Mm -hmm. consumers will ultimately be happier with it. I think in the short term, it might suck. But um, probably long term is probably better, m- more of a, well, it'll probably be in the short term is it's going to be an initial like probably cash drop right. just because you're. They, they've said as much that they can't new... replace revenue short term. Yeah. But long term, it, it, it's one of those things, you know, kind of like when they, 
when like Ethan talks about salary cap, the reason why people would like salary cap because it costs certainty. Or with you know, if MLB has complete reins of production and everything, they would have more of an idea of like certainty with like revenue and things like that. But right. the other thing I was and, gonna and mention think... too is you know another thing I was gonna mention just you know MLB obviously likes to make things complicated. Just I mean I if you just think back to last year, like right after they signed the CBA or getting close to signing the CBA, you know, they popped out like all these new streaming deals. And that's right. They were just, it was, and they were just purpose, almost like purposely making it more complicated because, you know, it's like, okay, you can have MLB TV, but then you also need Peacock. And then you also need Apple TV. And then you also need ESPN. Right. And, you also need... and it, it wasn't like, if they wanted to make it simpler, I feel they could. I mean, granted, there's they have to go through a bunch of different like uh, proprietary bullshit in total if they wanted to make a huge conglomerate. But that aside, like they were, it's almost like they were purposely also making it more complicated. Well, and it's it's interesting <clears throat> because MLB does a lot of dumb things, but they do have some smart people working there. So if people remember the sale of of BamTech, so mm. BamTech was an MLB created and owned company that they sold to Disney for $1.5 billion. Disney Plus is built off of Bam Tech. Mm -hmm. And that was an MLB-created thing. When they said uh, Disney, Hulu, and ESPN, aren't they all built off it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... that's, So MLB can do this. I mean, it's... The main thing getting in the way of this has been the money people and the RSNs. And now that the RSNs have poop running down their leg... And that has, it really feels like in a lot of ways, we're reaching an economic critical mass where like there's, mm-hmm. there has to be change to the way that the system works. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing to me in, in this whole thing is just blackouts. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't know why this continues. I, you want your sport to continue to grow and to have newer fans and not have an average fan age of, what was it like 52? I looked at one point with, with major league baseball. So if you want younger fans and people to be interested in your sport, you need to start showing your sport. And that, yeah. That, and that's, that's why I'm not a huge fan of like the, like the super direct con- to consumer model with like MLB TV. Yeah. Because that you're the only people you're going to be getting there who are going to, who are people who are already willing to spend the current price of what, like $129 a year. Yeah, for just like I mean, your yeah. team, and it's like 150 for like every team, and yeah, and the problem with with that is that you're you're only gonna get the the diehard people who, like we mentioned, are already older. The better way to do this would probably be to partner with like a cable alternative, something like Hulu or um, Hulu Plus Live TV or YouTube TV who they're already feuding with currently over MLB network. Um, but that would probably be the, the way to go. That's probably the future. Um, but no. being it be like, cause I, I think the industry, that industry has seen some like super niche, like direct to consumer, like flops, just looking at it in a broader sense. Um, like there have been a lot of streaming platforms that are like, all right, we're going to cater to this exclusive thing because it's streaming and streaming is big. And then it fails because, well, they tried catering to a really a small thing mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. And so in terms of financial viability, I really do think long term, they'd be best to partner with with somebody else and provide it through that. Maybe there'd be like an additional fee or something, you know, tucked in there for you know, add MLB games to your cable alternative for so-and-so. But mm-hmm. the, ultra- the, the MLB TV aspect, it, it works for someone like me who's a transplant Pirates fan. Like I, now that I live in New Orleans, right. like it's great for me because I can watch every game unless they're in Houston or Arlington. <clears throat> yeah. And those are the only ones I can't watch. Or, and then I guess, I, I mean, I have YouTube TV now. And I hope they get the MLB deal done. Uh, I just switched out of Fubo because of that whole uh, RSN bullshit. And, and cable is in um, cable's in deep shit. I mean, it's like mm. it can't be overstated how much of deep shit cable is in. 
And that's why like mm-hmm. this move has to happen. Like some kind of change in the way that this, that just the product is distributed has to come because at some point, even like mm-hmm. the Dodgers mega cable deals are going to die because cable is mm-hmm. on its way out the door right now. Like year over year mm-hmm. subscriptions for some of the major per- like cable providers are down like double digits in a single year. Mm-hmm. That is that's ridiculous amount of money loss. Yeah. Well, at some point, like, the Dodgers and me, the Mets, even those teams that own their own channels, like that own stakes, like Yes Network or um, the Red mm-hmm. Sox own stakes in their um, distributor, that like those teams can't, they won't be able to like, you can't stand in front of the ocean and tell it to, you know, you know, stop coming in. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why like me personally, the, I mean, Fubo, all of a sudden there was a $15 a month charge or $14 a month charge because of Bally. And I'm like, no. And I just, I, I swapped because of that. And that's why, yeah, yeah, cable, you know, there's so much just added bull crap that people are like, I, I don't need this and I don't want this. So, yeah, no, I got you. And, you know, um, transition into our last question of the night. Um, it comes from Michael from the 412 Double Play podcast. Really good podcast. I've been listening to them recently and, you know, they give good insight and, um, I love their show. You guys should subscribe to them. They're pretty good. Um, trust me. And this isn't me sponsoring them or anything like that. I just like them. But um, the the question that they gave was, uh, who are we higher on currently at second base, Castro or Bay? And it's simple question enough. And I guess you got to dive really deep into it to give the best answer possible. But just looking at things as they are now, I personally like them moving Bay to center field in the outfield. I think his athleticism plays better there. I think the speed plays better there. I haven't seen a whole lot of him in terms of arm ability in the outfield. Yeah. Okay? But I, I think his speed and his athleticism can play better in center field as opposed to second base. So I guess by default, I would have to go Castro, but I'm not completely sold on Castro being an everyday second baseman to begin with. I liked him at third base, but we have Cabrian Hayes there. He's going to be there for as long as we can keep him. But I I guess you move Castro to second base, but I personally like Castro as a really good bench bat. But I guess you can play him at second base for now, and he's my default answer. Um. But Nola, I'll let you lead the charge on uh, your Castro Bay dilemma. Um, I think ultimately, and I guess this kind of goes back to uh, aspect of like floor. Um, I think Bay is the higher floor player. You know, defensively, and the speed and his contact ability and I, I think, and that's why we're like watching a lot of like Bay and, uh, you know, one of my favorites, Marcano bat. Um, <laughs> with joking, Bay, of course. <laughs> oh. with, <laughs> I was worried. With, I was worried for a moment. <laughs> uh, that, that was the one that was going to set him off. But that's right. Well, watching Bay, like Bay has a type of swing where you're like, okay, I can see, May, not like big power coming out of his bat, but you can see future power with his swing and potential to hit gap shots, to shoot it down a line and use his wheels. So I don't, I think, I don't think Bay's bat's going to be a long-term problem. So that, in addition to, again, with the speed and defense, I think ultimately he's going to be the better, higher variance second baseman with Castro he obviously has that power aspect that if he does figure it all out, he could be amazing. So, but it's like, he could, I mean, the defense we're going to need to see if that took a step forward. Cause oddly he was a strong third baseman, but he was pretty brutal at second base. Yeah. Which I think is kind of like a third base, you know, it's, it's yeah. Just... And, and even though you kind of like what Longhangen was talking about with that NS9 interview last night with Cruz and the sometimes just like the mental lapses, you know, you kind of see that with Castro too. We, we won't go into cell phone talk, but <laughs> um, yeah, it just feels like Bay is the more well-rounded 
a higher floor player that I think is eventually going to become the better second baseman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we're not I, I endorsing Bay that. as a person by any means. We're just talking strictly no. the player. Just saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we're not going to go there. I would have. I would agree with that. Mostly, I'm. I'm really intrigued by Castro's power. Um, I'm. I'm really intrigued. I. I want him to. Obviously, I think we're going to roll into the season with him playing second, and I think mm-hmm. Bay's probably going to be more of an outfield guy. And for now, I like Bay playing center and or maybe left field generally anyways yeah. but i mean but i mean long term there's certainly some risk of castro being more of a a bench guy than an oh. everyday starter but it's just the idea of like okay you could get tw- like if we're talking ceilings you could get like 25 out of your second baseman that's big mm-hmm. oh yeah so that's i mean that's why Castro is is so intriguing, at least to me personally. But I mean, I, I echo the sentiment. Bay probably has the higher floor. Castro's Castro's an um he's a natural right-handed hitter, isn't he? It's kind of odd. I found I find it kind of odd that he's a switch hitter and a natural right-handed hitter. You don't see mm-hmm. that super often. No, it's usually a lefty who wants in the lineup, so he bats right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really odd to think. Maybe I don't know. Maybe the league he played in previously, or when he was a kid, he just learned how to do it because that's the thing to do. He was bored one day. I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. I'm interested to get that answer from him. I might ask him that when I'm at PNC. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, but I I, yeah, I, I mean I mean I, I go ahead, man. Sorry. I was just I was just gonna say no. You get, uh, I was just gonna say I feel like you know maybe. We, he could pull a couple like rough Ned Odor seasons. It's possible, but then he could also, yeah, okay, and just like go off with his power, but at the same time, could bottom out like Odor did. Is he gonna punch um, Jose Batista? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he claw he cleaned his clock, man. I wonder if Cash has a mean right hook. Wasn't there a crazy story with a with Rugnando Dora's contract with Texas where they gave him a horse? Really? Yeah, I never heard that. Really? Hold on, let me. Yeah, hold on, let me look this up. I'm I'm almost entirely positive it was Rugnando Dora. That's insane to think about. Just we're gonna pay you this horse. Here's a thoroughbred. We can't afford to pay you. Ah, two two horses. Yeah, so the Rangers, part of... yeah, the Rangers and uh, second baseman Rugnanador, who agreed to terms on a six-year extension with forty-nine point five million to keep him in Arlington through twenty twenty-three. Odor will also receive two horses as part of the deal. I remember there being like questions about, uh, you know, like the story was that they weren't sure he was going to sign it, and then they were like, "We'll give you these two horses we found," and he was like. Deal. I'll do it. <laughs> Where's the dotted line? Let me sign that bitch before real quick. These are. I'll tell you, it looks like there's a tweet from Evan Grant. It says, "These are in fact the these are in fact the horses that steal the Odor deal. This is not a joke." <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to baseball, great. folks. Welcome to baseball. Um. Yeah, but you know, this is this was a great show, guys. Um. You know, as as usual, we leave you with uh, our socials and our sentiments. So. Um, I'll start off first. You can follow me on Twitter at 2HG013. You could also give my work at Pittsburgh Baseball Now. Follow at PittsburghBaseballNow.com. Um, recently wrote that article, like I mentioned, on Bubba Chandler. Excuse me. Um, my opinion piece on him. Um, I'll be covering the weekend games for the Pirates spring training uh, this weekend. So you can look forward to that. I guess it's a spring training game or not many people read it, but give it a click why not help me out um nola why don't you give out your socials man and any projects you got working on um at nola jeffy n-o-l-a-j-e-f-f-y uh not really working on much right now uh because uh pilot prospects is uh wilbur's doing daily recaps uh currently being in bradenton so we're just kind of rolling with that and i'll be in bradenton starting uh next week 
Oh shit! There we go. You gonna you gonna have your Blake Sable sign for everybody? To yeah. See? There's we 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 oh the half green goes gone. Oh juju. We we, we we finally had our half green go. He's gone. <laughs> but uh, I, I mean my my Sable jersey's already signed. Maybe I so I'm 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 a, I'm a probably wear it to one of the games. Just be like I miss him. There you go, man. There you go. <laughs> Connor, I don't really. I don't really I don't, uh... have uh, much going on. Uh, I do occasionally do post game stuff and co hosting over for North Shore Nine. Uh, go check them out. My Twitter is at Wins Williams. Um, follow if you like absolutely horrid Twitter content. <laughs> I am the worst. I mean, I don't know. I, I think I have a good time reading your stuff. I mean, I think when I when I'm serious, it's all right. But most of the time, I'm just it's. It's gotta get some shit, shit posting. posting. <laughs> Just some insane pirate shit posting. Hey man, we all. Oh, do it's it. it's even it's even worse in in the DMs. I sent some like, um, some like awful Ben Sherrington post in the group chat the other day where it was just like, oh god, I'm trying to remember like what it was, but it was like I was making fun of Sherrington's GM speak. And it was oh, like I, I made some yeah, and I made some copy pasta about like how Ben Sherrington's lover speak must be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> it was so <laughs> like it was so bad that I didn't even post it on my page. Like I wanted to, and I was just like, this is like nah, nobody bro. should see this. <laughs> nobody should see this. Good stuff, man. Good you, stuff. You should know that my Twitter is mentally unhinged by my handle is Josh Harrison is better than Javi Baez. Like <laughs> that's I mean, but it's true though, right? Last year, statistically speaking, it's entirely true. <laughs> I never I mean, seen I, Josh okay. Harrison whiff like I, Javi Baez has. I was t- I talked about it on Twitter the other day that if if Dansby Swanson like bombs out this year, his career like slash line will be worse than Jordy Mercer. Oh, yeah, I did see you say that, and you're going yeah, to you Jordan... change your name. Yeah, the Jordy, Jordy Mercer's career line and Swanson's career slash line. I mean, obviously, the power numbers are different, but like if you were just looking at their triple slash line, I wouldn't have been able to tell the difference. What you talking about, man? Jordy Mercer hits bombs. He hits bushes. <laughs> yeah. <He is. laughs> but, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. We always appreciate your support and sending us questions and sending the love on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, you know, the, the support has been incredible. Had our best month ever uh, in terms of downloads for a month in February, the shortest month of the year. And you guys kicked ass and showing support. So keep that train rolling. And um, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you dig us, leave a rate review. We'd appreciate it. It's always nice waking up in the morning and seeing your nice comments. So. We love you guys very, very much. And as always, let's go Bucks.